0: Good morning. How are we all? All good? Lovely smiles. Fantastic. It is lovely to be here with you. And I do get the privilege and honour to uh, bring this series home, Making Prayer Count. I hope you have been blessed and uh, encouraged and enriched by it so far. Um, You know, if you have missed it, you can indeed play catch up on our website, thevinearchurch.co.uk. And as way of a mini recap, the first week Chris opened up the series for us and looked at a particular dynamic of prayer... Called a prayer burden, which the old timers called, and I, I, I like that phrase to be honest because it really speaks to what it is. It's a, a burden that God gives us that we need to just seek Him. And uh, you know, Chris did a great job looking at the, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and how Jesus Himself responded to that prayer burden. As we know, He went back three times. And so, if you missed that, I'd encourage you to catch up. And then the second week, then did a great job looking at the dynamic of faith in making prayer count. And how faith is a God-given thing, right? That not only enables us to step into that prayer burden and have expectancy for what God's got, but he really focused and zeroed in on the fact that the process of faith changes us, conforms us and transforms us to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And he looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah, so if you missed that, and catch up. And last week, uh, it was me, and we looked at persistency those seasons when we're like, when, Lord, when are you going to answer? And we looked at the persistency in prayer, looked at the parable of the widow, and we looked at five key principles. And so, again, if you missed that, play catch up. So what does this final week bring us as we bring this series home? Well, uh, I'll be honest with you, it's a good start, isn't it, for a preacher? Honesty. Uh, it could have gone many ways, because there are indeed many more components of making prayer count that we could have looked at, you know, such as the place of fasting in prayer or the place of unity in prayer, or the place of command of faith in prayer. In fact, that's what Chris did earlier, didn't he? When he commanded that cancer to go, he cursed that cancer in Jesus' name. And I suspect we will revisit this at some point and keep looking at these dynamics of prayer. <clears throat> but, um, you know, as, as I was praying, and as Chris and I were talking and seeking God about how God wanted to end this series, we got a very strong sense that actually, actually, God wanted to look at making prayer count from an altogether different angle, from a higher perspective. And you know, for some of us, I'll be honest, it may require us to shift our focus a little. It may require us to shift our view. And you know, we might squint a little as we take in and behold a new vantage point, a wider, more colourful vista, You see, up until this point, what we've done, I I hope, is equip you on how to pray. But here's the thing, we've kind of assumed we all know why our prayers should count. And you could say to me, rightly so, well, isn't it obvious, Mark? We want our prayers to count because of the very thing that we are praying for. And you'd be absolutely right. Indeed, when I'm praying for healing for someone, I want that person to be healed. I want my prayers to count. Or if I'm praying for someone's salvation, we want that person to be saved. So absolutely, yes and yes, and there's more of that. And God absolutely loves answering the requests of his children. In fact, he gives us those desires to us, doesn't he, so that we can respond in prayer. So tick. But the second thing, as we've touched on, you know that God wants our prayers to count because in the process of us pressing into prayer, he changes us. And that's another reason why our prayers should count. Tick. Absolutely, yes, but you know, God has something else in mind too, something that actually brings all of these seemingly separate and unique dynamics of prayer into one unified view, one unified purpose in prayer. And you know, I want us to be excited and expectant. And I just want to make reference to that new song by the guys. Wasn't it fantastic? I tell you, one of the things that just struck me is this sense of newness of season. This sense of a new horizon, a new vantage point. You see, God is doing something in our midst as we speak. This season, God is purposeful about what he's doing. What is that? He wants to reveal new truths to us, a new understanding. You see, oftentimes a deeper understanding and revelation of truth is both a fruit of growing up, but also given to us in order for more growing up. And there's a reason why God is calling us to grow up. It's not that we're silly and infant like, it's because He wants to give us more responsibility. He's got more for us as we take hold of that building. You know, Chris cast the vision at the start of this year, didn't he? Pressing in and pressing on. Pressing into God and pressing on with what God has for us. You cannot cast that vision. You cannot pray that prayer and not expect God to show up. And so we should not be surprised that we are moving into a new season of deeper truths and deeper understanding, new revelation of who God is. And so, I want us to be excited, expectant. And I suspect, even as I'm talking, there is something in you, some of you, that's saying, Yes, I've been praying for that. God, I want something more. Something deep inside is saying yes to that. And so, this morning, what is God showing us? What is God's unified purpose in prayer? You know, it might sound like a paradox. But sometimes in order to get to the center of something, you need to actually take a step back. In order to see the heart of something, you actually need to look from a distance. Yeah? You know, don't we behold the majesty of God's creation all around us? The seemingly different and unique aspects of the world. The way the birds soar in the air, those huge eagles. The deep and colourful and wonderful oceans of this world. Teeming with life that we still don't know about. You know, the wide and majestic plains of Africa and the Serengeti. Wonderful. As it says in Psalm 66 verse 4, the whole of creation sings his praise. (laughs) We only have to look at it, don't we? But here's the thing. There is something uniquely awe-inspiring something uniquely powerful, when we look at it from an altogether different angle, when we look at it from a higher perspective, when we look at our Earth from space. Wow. All of a sudden, the seemingly unique and separate aspects of the world come together into one unified view, one harmonious whole. And it puts our lives and our part in perspective also, doesn't it? All of a sudden, we realize we are part of something greater than just ourselves, that it isn't just about us. And in that moment, the disharmony, the confusion, the strife, which is all around us, in this view, in that instant, seems to disappear. As if the sheer magnificent silence drowns out the noise. It takes our breath away. It makes us go, wow. And so this morning, God is calling us to take that journey to his perspective on making prayer count, his view. And while we have focused these past few weeks on the individual aspects and components of prayer, God is wanting us to take a step back and see his unified whole and say, Wow. And so, what does God's view from space look like? What does the wholeness and harmony of all the parts look like? What is his unified purpose in prayer? It is this that God may be glorified in Jesus. That God may be glorified. In Jesus, You see, ultimately, prayer isn't about us and securing answers. It's about God and the supremacy of his name. It is about the centrality of God in everything that we are and do. It isn't a man-centered reason why our prayer should count. It is a God-given passion for his name. Yes, he wants to bless us and answer our requests. Absolutely. He is full of love. That is who he is. Yes, he cares for us. Yes, he's kind and loving towards us. Why? Because that is who he is. But there is a difference between who he is and his purpose. There is a difference between who he is and his purpose. We see this so clearly, so explicitly stated, this unified purpose by Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples and speaks to us in John 14, verse 13. He said this on the subject of making prayer count. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. But you know what, friends? There's no full stop. He then says this, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There it is, God's unified purpose in prayer. And this morning, to understand this further and unpack this together, we're going to look at what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew 6. And we're going to apply this to our own lives and see how God's unified purpose in prayer is so explicitly stated. That sound good? Should we go on that journey together? Amen. Well, let us pray, and then we're going to get right into God's Word. Lord, I thank you that you have so much more for us, that you are not only calling us you are willing us you are inviting us to see more hidden depths about who you are (laughs) and I thank you for the season that we're in I thank you that you've got so much more for us for your riches endless and unfathomable so Lord prepare our hearts to receive this Lord I pray that as our eyes adjust to this new vantage point Lord that we would see clearly and God how I ask that you would uh, anoint me afresh to preach your word in Jesus name Amen. Fantastic. Well, before we look at the Lord's Prayer, let me just frame it for us. You see, the Lord's Prayer, as typically with Scripture, it's always good to read before and after, read around it. What's the context? Well, the Lord's Prayer, you see, was a part of a conversation that Jesus was having having with his disciples. And the reason he was having that conversation, you see, was that Jesus was responding to the types of prayers the Pharisees and what he called the hypocrites would make. Well, what was wrong with their prayers? Well, this is how they would pray. You see, they would find a street corner, i.e., where everyone could see them, and have really long prayers full of wonderfully colorful and stupendous words. (laughs) They put their piety on display for all to see. Here I am praying to God. You see, they were more interested in the praise of man than they were in the praise of the God that they were praying to. That was the problem with their praying. And Jesus responded to this. And the first thing he says to his disciples is, no, 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 that's not the point. That's not what prayer is about. It isn't about you. It's about God. And what does he say? He says, the first thing is, go into a room and lock the door and pray to your God in secret. That will protect your heart. But you can't give out outgive God. Do you know what he says? And the God that sees you in secret will reward you openly. I love God. I love God. What a heart. Thank you, Jesus. And then he goes on to say this. And when you pray, don't babble like the Pharisees. Pray like this. And here we arrive at the Lord's Prayer. You see, it's in that context of don't pray like the Pharisees. And let us us pray this prayer. In fact, let us stand, please. And we have the Lord's Prayer on the screen that's about to come up now. Thank you for that, Sam. Here it is. Okay, let us pray this together. Our Father, who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever amen amen please be seated well what can we learn from this prayer on seeing God's perspective on making prayer count well you know there's probably three ways in which we use the Lord's prayer and the first is the most common and that is to pray the prayer as we have done and we should do that and I feel challenged that I should do that more the second way is that we pray into the prayer what do I mean by that well, you see, you use it as a launching pad. Our Father who is in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you're my daddy. Thank you that you, you are holy, God, that is in heaven. You see that? And then the third way, which we're going to look at this morning, is that actually the Lord's prayer provides a model for us, but also shows the heart of God in prayer. You see, each word is not there by accident, is it? It's loaded with reason and purpose. As is the intentional structure and the flow of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus did not cobble it together on the fly. <laughs> no, there's a lot of meaning that we can get from this, and that is how I want us to study it. So let us look at it together then. The first thing then that we find is the prayer has a definitive structure, four parts to the prayer. First is the introduction. First is the introduction, which states our God centered position. Okay, and we're going to unpack that together in a moment and see why that's so important. Secondly, we move on to, to the second part of the prayer, which states God's unified purpose in prayer very, very clearly, very explicitly. Thirdly, we move on to the prayer's petitions or requests. And we're going to look at these and see how they not only are for us, but they also fulfill God's unified purpose in prayer. And lastly, the ending uh, is the part that we play and how we respond. Okay, so that's the four bits we're going to look at. Let's therefore go on to the first bit, the introduction, our God-centered position. It states this, our Father who is in heaven. Let me pause on our Father. Here's, here it is, you see. <laughs> Effective prayer is a refru- uh, fruit of a right position. Right praying is a fruit of a right position, you see, prayer shouldn't be driven by fear. Prayer shouldn't be driven from some kind of religious adherence. It shouldn't be because we feel we have to. Actually, prayer is a fruit of recognizing that we are God's children, that we respond in prayer because he first loved us. That is true prayer. It's a heart thing, a heart of devotion. And so oftentimes we miss of making our prayers count because we don't recognize that he is our father and he wants us to run into his arms saying, Daddy, that is the heart of prayer. But you know what's interesting about this is that our father also demonstrates God's unified purpose, that it's about God and the centrality and supremacy of his name. You see, Paul says to the Ephesians on this subject of, of sonship and daughtership in one, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 6, he says this, just as he chose you and I in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. For that is our state when we say yes to God. In love, that is who he is, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself. According to the kind intention of his will, because that is who he is, and then it says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of his glory, of his grace. We see his purpose. You see, when we are saved, when we recognize that Jesus died for our sins, and then when we are cleansed and we can run into the Father's arms, it's because he loves us, but in so doing, it demonstrates his grace towards us. Our glory goes to his name. Do you see that? And then we get to the second bit of our position. In heaven... Our Father who is in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, you see, in heaven means that he is a holy God. He is a holy God. And Jesus is requiring to hold these seemingly two things that are in tension together. That in one hand, he is our daddy that we run to. But in the other, that he is a holy God. Now, that is hard for us to do. See, oftentimes what we do is we, we, we put focus on the one to the detriment of the other. Well, he's such a holy God. He doesn't want to see me. Have we heard this? I've said it. Have you said it? He's too busy for me. He's holy. Or the other way. Ah, oh, he's my daddy. He doesn't care about the sin in my life. He knows I'm trying. He doesn't really care about the fact that I'm doing this, that and the other. No, no, Jesus is making the point that effective prayer comes from right position, which is recognizing that A, we can run to him, but B, we run to him with our hearts in check, recognizing that he is a holy and wonderful God. And you know what? It's only by the work of the Spirit that we can do that. And say, Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, would you come and just equip me to pray aright? That I would recognize that he is my daddy, but Lord, I would recognize the awe the awe of God, the holiness of his name. Then we move on, that's the introduction, to the second part of the prayer, which states God's unified purpose. Here it is. Hallowed be your name. Or in other words, would your name be honored? Would you take the center? Would you be supreme? Would all glory go to you? You know, this is not a line of praise This is a request. God, would your name be honored. And you know what's very interesting here is that the unified purpose, God's unified purpose, is after our God-centered position. Why is it Jesus didn't say, hallowed be your name, our Father who is in heaven? Because we would never get this if we don't realize that he is our Father and he is God. What would happen is we would just skip over this. But when you recognize that he is our father and he sent his only son to die for us, and when you recognize that he is a holy God, then actually the fruit of that is God. Would your name be honored? (laughs) This, this This is a fruit and flows out of our position. See that? And so what we see is that this line is not in isolation to the rest of the prayer. Actually, what we see is the rest of the prayer demonstrates and fulfills this. Because oftentimes we pray this, don't we? Hallow be your name. Right, I move on to my petitions because there's a long list of things I need. Actually, they're intrinsically linked and we're going to see this now. So with that, let us move on to the petitions. What is the first one that we find? Your kingdom come, <clears throat> your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And we looked at this last week, didn't we? The manifestation of God's kingdom. When his kingdom breaks in, his rule and his reign. And how all the blessings and, uh, and uh, promises flow from that? Healings and salvation, all that kind of stuff. And that blesses us, doesn't it? It fills a need that we have. But actually what it also does, it points the glory to him. That is the response when we see God's glory. And I love Habakkuk Sorry, I, I, I chuckle slightly when I say that because I always get it wrong. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14, it says this. For the earth will be filled with what? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, that is a prophetic utterance about the coming of God's kingdom in all its faunas. Just like the waters cover the whole earth, so will be the knowledge of the glory of God. And so when we pray, would your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? Yes, we want the blessings that come with that. Yes, we want to be touched by his peace and his love and his compassion and all these things. But ultimately, the fulfillment of this is that God would be glorified, that he would be the center of all things. And then we move on. We move on to our personal petitions. What's the first one? Give us today our daily bread. Now, I've been thinking about this. And I was saying to God, why is it, Lord, that we pray this? Because, well, I know why we pray this, but why is it in the prayer? Because the line before is, would your kingdom come on earth as in heaven? But if that was to come in all its fullness, we wouldn't need to pray for daily bread, would we? (laughs) Think about it. It would already be there. So why are you asking us to pray this? Could have ended it on the previous line. Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think, firstly, (laughs) it's all about relationship. God wants to hear what's on our hearts. He wants us to call out to him. He wants us to ask and say, Daddy, I need this. You know, At the end of Matthew 6, Jesus says, God knows you need all these things. This is not a God that ignores your personal requests and your personal needs. This is a God that lavishes upon you and says, no, tell me what you need, son. Tell me what you need, daughter. But there's a second reason. You see, when God blesses us with what we need it brings him glory, i.e. the fulfillment of this prayer demonstrates the centrality and supremacy of God. What do I mean mean by this? Well, if you see children, right, and they're walking around and they look well-fed, well-dressed, happy, what do you say? You don't say, they've done well for themselves, haven't they? (laughs) They must be on a good salary. They have good start, good choice in clothes. No, we don't say that, do we? What do we say? They must have great parents, their parents must really love them. Their parents must really care for them. In other words, the honor and the glory goes to the parents, not to the children. Do you see that? <laughs> and so in the fulfillment of give us a day our daily bread, the honor and glory goes to God, the provider of all things. And God wants us to be fruitful on this world. And uh, Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 11... He says this, it is my prayer that you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, that you would bear good fruit, you would have all you need. And then he says this, to the glory and praise of God. There it is, you see, bright and clear. It's for the glory of God that we will be fruitful. And in fact, the parable of the vine. He says, abide in the vine, because Jesus is the vine, so that we may bear fruit. And then it says, for the glory of God. We see his unified purpose coming through. And then what's the next one? Next petition. Forgive us our trespasses or sins as we forgive those that sin against us. You see, in ourselves, we cannot forgive ourselves, can we? It's only a God thing. God can only do that. You know, David, the psalmist, says in Psalm 25, verse 11, he says this, For your own namesake, God, pardon my guilt, for it is great. For your namesake, God, for your supremacy, for the centrality of your name, would you forgive my sins? Because it demonstrates God's grace and his love. You see that? And then we could go on, but we'll stop at this point. And then fourthly, and at this point, I'd like to invite the band up. We move on to the end of this prayer. So we see in the introduction, our God-centered position, how that prayer is a fruit of that first off. And then we see God's unified purpose in prayer stated explicitly. And then we see the petitions which demonstrate and fulfill the cry of our hearts, which is, Lord, would you be center? Would you be supreme? Would you be glorified? But then we get to the end. And what this end shows us is that God's glory was always, always, was and is a two-way thing. You know, the eminent theologian, J.I. Packer, he puts it like this. God's glory showing requires glory giving. God's glory showing requires God's glory giving. And we see that in the Lord's Prayer. You see, it's bookended on the start with a, a cry of, Lord, would you show us your glory? And then at the end, it's, for yours is the kingdom, the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, that is not a statement of fact, that is a response of praise. And you know, just like we cannot help but go, wow, when we see something greater than ourselves, so we cannot help but go, wow, when we see the glory of God. Why? Because that is how He created us. That is what sin has robbed us of. You see, sin has come in with a lie that we get our wow from everything else but God. And sin seeds us the lie that says, don't ask for God's glory. That's some egotistical God that wants to do that. The truth is, God knows that we can only feel fulfilled when we give him glory. His unified purpose is from his love for us. He wants us to go, wow, in his presence and behold the majesty of his glory. You know, just as as Moses said in Exodus 33, when God had promised that he would go before them, Moses says this, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That was on his heart. And you know, I think for some of us, our eyes have become so accustomed to seeking his provision we forgot to sing his praise. This morning, God is calling us to make prayer count for the glory of his name. And you know, friends, it's more, it's more than just the planets of prayer, as we looked at earlier. For as we step back even further, away from earth, so we see other planets, stars and systems, planets called work stars called friends and what seems to be unrelated, unconnected when we take a step back we see they are connected all for the glory of God and at the centre we see Jesus you see it's because of the work of Jesus on the cross that God's glory is revealed in all his splendour without Christ dying for our sins and being raised again we would never know the love and grace and mercy of God. Without God sending His Son to take our place, we would never know a God who is love. And so it is through the Son that God is glorified. And I leave you with this, Romans 11:36. For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.